Dave's Psych Lectures, part of the Thunderbird 6 Podcasting Network. So the cool thing is, after very few trials, with these kind of parameters we have, so the parameters of 0.2 salience, that's really quite high. Remember, it goes between 0 and 1, and 1 is all of the animal's sensory, system is sensory systems are completely focusing on that. So, that's, so 20% of it's, that's pretty intense. That's pretty intense fingers. Right? And so that's why this happens so very quickly. And they, and they start getting really small, really fast. You can see that it's going to be a lot smaller than this if we go half it to make it 0.1. Right? And you can see suddenly, for example, if we change these aliens part way through to 0.1, we would suddenly get a lot less further as well. Right? I think it's quite cool that you can get an equation like this of this line, right? Like a, this, this beautiful curve with a simple um, expression that doesn't have any exponents in it. I think that's kind of neat. But for, this is just trial by trial. You could uh, do calculus and actually figure out what the slope was here if you better. If that's something that you like doing. So it's pretty neat. Like I said, if you did do it, you got it and you graphed it out. You got a nice asymptotic curve very quickly. So, you get less and less conditioning as time goes by, and I think that's cool, not cool, I'm correcting that. Okay, so it gets smaller and smaller. I think we did it in our heads up to five times, so if you went a little further, that's fine. Okay, how's overshadowing work? Overshadowing is when you have two stimuli, compound stimulus, And let's say one's light and one's noise. And again, this is just to make the math easy, but if you see here, we now use 70% of all the animal's perceptual resources. This is a pretty intense compound stimulus. Okay? What just happened there? Whoa, iTunes quit, but I'm not even running it. Well, I guess I clearly was running iTunes. Well, did we send it to Apple? How about okay? And then go back to my thing. Thank you. Alright. So what we're going to do here is you do two CSs, so you're going to, well, it's not two CSs, it's two parts of a single CS. We would operationally say here this is a compact stimulus, we would call it a single CS. However, the Rescoil Wagner model says we look at each individual perceptual, you want to call it that, or sensory modality differently. So we're going to do two calculations per trial. Even though operationally it's one CS, Rescoil Wagner is going to treat as two CSs. Right? So it's a light and a tone at the same time. We call that a compound stimulus. But a compound obviously broken down into its constituent parts. So we're going to call it CS1 and CS2. CS1 is the light, with the salience of 0.2, CS2 is a tone, with the salience of 0.5. So what does this mean? This means this noise is one and a half times louder than this light is bright. <laughs> Sorry. It's kind of theoretical. That but they're being presented at the same exactly time. Exactly the same time. Simultaneously. Okay. Yes, simultaneously. 
completely, they come on at the same time, they go off at the same time because they compound stimulus. And this is a five to two relationship such that, again, this is one and a half times louder than this is bright. And I know it's a very strange way to think. But does that make sense to see what, that, what, what I mean by saying that? This five to two relationship as far as salience goes. So we do two, that, we're going to do two calculations per trial. So in trial one, we do delta V for light, delta V for noise, 0.2 times 100 minus 20. And again, remember, it's 100. It's 100. Uh, 20, I think I said it would be, oh no, yeah, it's 100, it's 100. They expect nothing, they get 100. They get 100% of the US. That's all that means. And again, you don't have to do it that way. But it makes things, makes math easy, frankly, is what people do with that math. Right. And it's also 100%, which is, I think, people like to vote. So we've got 0.2 times 100 minus 0 is 0.5 times 100 minus 0, which is 50. Right. So that's trial one. Now, in trial two, this is the part that trips everybody up. You have to put in here, in the V sum, you put in the total. Not just the total for light, but the total for light and noise together. Because what's the animal expect? It expects the total amount that it gets about the previous trial. Right? So it expects 70. It doesn't expect 20 and 50. So it's 100, sorry, 0.2 times 100 minus 76. Notice how much this is going down. Again, we get a lot of learning very quickly with something that intense. 0.5 times 100 minus 70, So in the next trial, it's going to be 0.2 times 100 minus 620, 91, right? Because that's 21 plus 7. So you have to add the whole thing together. This is, again, everybody gets tripped up here. But you can see how much, now if we did these apart, if we tested the animal with noise versus light, we should get a, a five to two relationship in amount of responding to just noise or just light. Right? Do you see that? Because it's always going to be a five to two relationship here because it's based solely on the salience. See that? Makes some sense. Okay, see, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. You just doing that or you got questions? You got questions, that's fine. They're all about seven. So, why wouldn't you first say, okay, you're going to go on to trial three now? Yeah. So would it not then be like 0.2 times 100 minus 21? No, 91. Because oh, you're add adding everything up. Okay. Remember the word sum means sum it all. Right. Yep. Yep. Doesn't just mean sum the last trial. Because again, always think of what does the animal expect? Remember, this is a very simple equation, right? Salience times what the net gets. Really, times surprise. We're just going to learn about salience times surprise. Salience, how do you the be operation to find surprise? What it gets minus what it expects. And what it expects is the total amount 
of conditioning it only has. That's why it learns less and less per trial. Because the amount it expects gets closer and closer to the amount it gets. This also should, should tell you again that this can, they will never actually become equal. They will approach, but never exceed about the asymptote. Right? Other questions? Playing with this thing is not too bad. But the, the key to it is practicing with it. And for studying for the test that's coming up, I would practice with it. I would just play with this thing. I would come up with situations and say, how does this work with the score of Wagner? And just work them out. And I would actually, this is one of the cases where I think it would be great to get together with a couple other people and just practice a little. Just practice a little. Change the numbers around and see if y'all agree. So how does blocking work? Well, blocking, which we, this is how we started at this whole section, uh, blocking works if there's really no strength left. In other words, this v-sum already approaches this. You've got enough trials of, say, light, and the US, right? that the difference between what the animal gets and what it expects is very small. So now what's left to learn when you make light and noise together if it's a blocking situation? It'll learn a little tiny bit, but it's going to be so freaking small that it doesn't matter. There's no what's called associated strength left. That's what we often say. There's no associated strength left, so there's no value left. Right? In all those cases, it means the same thing. Like, think about it, and we could, we, we could work it out if you want. Pretty easy. Let's say we've done a bazillion trials. Now we've done blocking, so we're going to do light, then light, then noise. Okay? So the light's going to block noise. Right? Let's say we've got enough trials here that this is already at, that the V-sum is already 98. So the animal's in the block. The animal's in the block. And let's make the salience, oh, no, let's make it, uh, no, let's make them both 0.1. So what's the end we'll learn on the next trial? So we get 0.1 times 100 minus 98. So that's for the light. Uh, so L delta V sub N uh, is noise. Equals 0.1 times 100 minus 98. I'm not saying that, in fact, with 0.1, that value dead on 90 is actually possible. I'm just doing this for screwing around, okay? Um, so, Next, we got 1 times 2, right, which equals hmm, 0.2, I think. If I carry the 1, so we know that's going to be there. Okay, so now what's the V sum? For light, it's 98 
0.2, and for noise, it's 0.2. See how blocking works? Pretty easy. The animal's not surprised anymore. If there's no surprise, it can't learn anything. That's all it is. Nothing magical. Well, there's a little magic. No, there is. There's no magic. Now to 98.2. It expects a lot from light. What's it expect from noise? Virtually nothing. Right? Point 0.2 is pretty close to nothing. Especially compared, did I just say especially? Especially compared to 98.2. Right? We've got three orders of magnitude there. That's a thousand times, that, that's a that's huge difference. Right? In, in a CER situation, I bet this shows up as random statistical noise, point 0.2. Compared to 98.50. Right? So we have to always think of it that way too, that yet will it learn something? Unless this is at 100 delta V, or to be some other, it's going to learn something. It's going to learn so little that it's going to look like no response. Because, like I said, it's going to look between a few animals like, like random statistical ones. Yeah, please. Is the V-sum blocking the amount of U.S. or the U.S. itself? Amount of U.S. because it's still partially there. Oh, no, the, the amount of U.S. It's only the same amount of U.S. It's only going to hit 100. Okay. This is assuming the, the amount of U.S. Okay. Um, what the V-sum is doing, or the amount of learning already, is it's blocking learning about anything about uh, noise. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, go ahead. Okay, so we get 98.2 to light, mm -hmm. and because we only had 98 to light. Okay, so then the noise is just. Just 0.2 because we had 0 plus 0.2. Okay. Yeah, so there is, it's, it's learned something, it's also learned something. Because it never is going to actually hit 100. It can't, it's just mathematically impossible. You just look at that if you're, if you sort of work it out in your head, or if you did go through like 10 trials, you'll see that it starts to really quickly go, and you go down. So that's just really how blocking works. And it's explained nicely by this model. And this is why uh, one of the reasons I like the model, we talk about makes a good theory, right? It just does a pretty good job. That makes a pretty good test question. <coughs> is the restore the Wagner model a good theory? Just saying. How does condition and emission work? The condition and emission, you put the two together, you get one's breaking a lack of something. And then you do the summation test. Well, 
We have a negative value for the old CS, the original. Because you know you do CS1 negative, so we'll call it A negative, and then we try to train with B, so long it takes. All this is, is the value for V sum is negative for the original CS. And if it's negative, it takes longer to learn. Because you've got to get up to positive to show learning, to show excitatory learning. So if this value was negative, it's going to take a long damn time to get back to zero. Right? Wow. This is really neat. Maybe it is magic. Magic's easy once you know long. That's a very old commercial that I know any of you have ever seen. It's a shake and bake commercial from 1970. I am now at the point where I'm referencing things from my childhood that there's no way your parents might get that joke. If your mom ever makes shake and bake, which no one does anymore, right? No one does that. It's, it's perfectly fine. But if she does, your mom's better to do You guys say, magic's easy once you know mom. And they'll think, that's funny. Why do you know that? That's weird. You know, it's the one. It's like making reference to an old Brady Bunch episode. There's no way any of you really, really watch the Brady Bunch with a good critical eye. Bobby, Cindy. Hi. That's the episode we learned in the Great Canyon. You lost. Anyway, it's too hard. It's an additive model. So when you have a negative value for the old CS, it's going to make that value negative. It takes longer eventually to get up the bottom. It's really, 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 really neat. Okay, you can't predict everything. Shit. <laughs> you, know, we would, you know what? The course would be over right now if you could predict everything. Um, it can't predict something called the CS pre exposure effect. Unlike conditioned inhibition, for example, CS pre exposure is you just put the CS in the animal's home cage. Okay, so I just take the CS, let's say I'm going to use a light. I just pre-expose the animal to the light in a different context. And then I take the animal, put it in its cage and have it learn about lights. It actually learns more quickly when it's seen the CS before. In fact, a lot of people take advantage of this effect. And the first few days before they're going to do a, a few days before they're going to start an experiment, they just expose the animal to the CS. So it's too bad, because it can't, there's no way this model can actually explain the CX free exposure effect. What's, what are you doing when you change the, when you need to do the CS free exposure effect? Because what you're doing is you're making learning better, and it shouldn't do that. Well, maybe you're changing S. What do I mean? Well, you're changing the salience, because the animal now is paying attention to it, there's a possibility, okay, it's one possible explanation, so we can still use the model, that it pays a little more attention to, 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 to uh, lights in general. So it makes the value go from, say, 0.1 to 0.2 because it, pays, it's a, it becomes an attentional parameter. This is, in fact, what Nick McIntosh did. His theory of associative learning, uh, he changes S to an attention parameter from a salience parameter. Um, you'll also see versions of the Rusko-Lag model calculations having that called attention instead of salience. Uh, 
Uh, Nick's smarter than man, so he's, he may very well be right. Uh, Nick's the smartest Bob, but they're bright guys. He's at Cambridge. Smart guy. He wrote this book, Conditioning Associative Learning. It's a little brown book. It's about this thick. A little soft cover book. And I read graduate school, and I used to spend days just... And it looks... It's deceptively small. Yeah. My wife used to call it that horrible brown book you're reading. Because I used to just read it all day. Like, you read a page, and I too much information in this page. But when you think about it, what he's saying is that we're changing it to an attention parameter from a salience parameter. I kind of like that. I kind of like that. <coughs> Excuse the for a little bit. I'm sure I'm listening. Okay. Yeah. The Pierce Hall model uh, is hard, so I'm not going to go into great detail on it. What I'm going to tell you is the animal, it's about the animal, um, it's a representational model, let's say that, and the, what the animal's doing is it's comparing its, this is that like, what's called a it's comparing what it expects to what it gets, but it's, it's a much more explicitly representational model. This doesn't actually have to be representational, right? Like, there needn't be the animal having a representation of the world works. It's really just surprise. The Chris Hall model is a lot more about a representational model. Uh, there's no reason to go into a lot more detail on that. It's never really caught on. Isn't that have something to do with its association of that stimulus or whatever? From past exposures. Yes, time. yes, it's that kind of thing. I think I think Mike's book does go into some detail on the Pierce Hall, right? I, don't know. I think it might. Um, and it's really it's doing comparisons between what the animal gets. There's a, there's a comparator in the model. It's a, it's what's called a um, a connectionist model. So there's a comparator in the model, and the animal's comparing what's happened in the past to what it gets now, which is kind of what's happening. Here, except it's doing it in more of an explicitly representational way. This is explicitly representational. It is representational. I don't think if Bob Rosquo was standing here, I think he'd say it didn't have to be, but it doesn't, this doesn't rule that out. Whereas Pierce Hall is explicitly representational and a lot more perceptual as well. John Pierce, who's at the University of Cardiff, I think he's still there, in Wales, um, he's a pretty hardcore animal cognition guy. So this shouldn't surprise me. He also is the most British-looking professor you would ever meet in your life. He has a pretty jacket with patches in his elbows. <coughs> At least he did the day I met him. It was like 25 degrees. We visited our lab. Um, this was in London. I was an undergrad. I was working in a lab uh, at Western. And he even had a little hat, a little 1920 kind of hat. He was wearing one of those. I had the scarf, and it was like 25 degrees. But he's a British professor. He had to dress like that. And a buddy of mine even asked him what our research was on. I said, I'm spacious stuff, so I explained why. And my friend Gord explained his stuff on nucleus accumbens and reward circuits in, in hippocampus. And my friend Gord looked at John Pierce and said, so do you know about hippocampus? And he said, this, from what I understand, it's in the black box. Which is just an awesome <laughs> answer, right? Because like, I don't care about brains. I study learning. He's, he's an interesting fellow. Um, this really Gallison's model, which is very computational, 
Um, again, you don't hear a lot about Bailey's model. What his model is, it's comparing, it's not explicitly associationist. These are. This one, Nick's is, and Bob's is, whoever scored the records. Randy's model doesn't talk about association so much as talking about things overlapping in time. And I know that sounds like a distinction without a difference, but hear me out. What Randy says is that the animal is constantly, and again, very representational, constantly finding out when things start and stop in the world, and has a running database of when things start and stop. So it's taking, keeping track of events, and it's keeping track of when, of times when those things start and stop. So there's a time tag of start and stop for everything. That actually is not unreasonable. Animals are good at timing. It's something they do uh, at Brady's, especially as students, if I want to work on time. Um, so it's not an unreasonable assertion. Now, the next part he says is what, an, what animals are constantly doing is doing correlations. So what they're doing is they're saying there's a correlation between event A and event B. Now he's not talking about U.S.s and C.s. These can be S's and S's. These can be different stimuli. These can be different responses. Doesn't matter. The animal's keeping track of these things all the time on the fly and constantly updating when two things happen together. And when they have a when they hit a threshold of some sort, there is more or less uh, responding. The animal that, what the animal's doing is constantly predicting the future, what this one is predicting up. Again, explicit, that's more explicitly um, representational than the scroll away. Okay. But it's, 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 it's a neat model, but I think about it is it's written in about 15 lines of basic code, which is quite cool. Where actually that's written about one line of basic code, which is even better. But I mean, it's very straightforward. Uh, it's very straightforward model. I'm not saying that any of these are right or wrong. Uh, they can all do certain things well. Hmm. All that was. Um, yeah, because the next bit on constraints is long. Okay. Now, we know that what kinds of associations are there in first order conditioning, which is the classic CSUS, we know that it's an SS connection. Right? Rescorla 73 has told us this. For the great Rescorla has said it. Therefore, it must be true. In second order and higher order conditioning, there are stimulus stimulus associations. This shouldn't surprise us. You're explicitly going to stimuli. But there also are stimulus response connections. 
That just seems weird to me. That is, that is weird wild stuff. So I'm surprised about that. But the data seem to show it. Um, there are associations between the CS and the context. In other words, the, the home kit. How do we test things like this? We change the brightness of the cage for a rat. So we make the floor black or the floor white, or striped, or whatever the hell you want to do. And we see that there are associations between CS and the context. And there are associations between the US and the context. We've already talked about that, where the US, through the context itself, the, the testing environment, predicts the US. Right? Again, this shouldn't surprise us. This is like that, that uh, shooting gallery found on the, the, the heroin. That's, those are context associations. That's, that's all those things are. And we all, we have these in daily life. People here that have ever smoked cigarettes know that you have, you have context associations with smoking, where you'll, 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 you won't ever create a cigarette in a classroom. But as soon as class is over and you walk out, for example, you go, God, he's a man for a cigarette right now. Or if you ever smoke uh, in front of your parents, right? You never put a cigarette around your folks. You walk out of the house and go, I don't think I'll have smoke now. But it didn't happen to you the whole time you're standing here talking to your mom. Even though you're doing something stressful when you're talking to your mom. I'm not saying your mom is stressful, or is mine. I love you, mommy. I do. I'm not as close as you can be. Context blocking. Well, look, if, if the context itself can be associated with CS in the US, the context can act as a blocking stimulus. Sure. So what do you do? You take the, the, the animal, you put it in a. Um, um, so what you do is you take the animal, you put it in a context, uh, say a black box, and then you give it food. The black box now predicts food, the black box, then you try to do the black box with a with a blue light. Well, blue won't matter, it's a rat music. It's got some kind of trick rat that sees in color, some kind of freakish X-Men type rat whose magic power is that he can see in color. Close the door. Oh, that pisses me off. Wait. Um, I was trying to think about these. I gotta think, I gotta think. I gotta make up examples. Anyway, so that's context blocking. Do you understand context blocking? Because it makes sense. It's just light and noise, except light is still, in this case, light <laughs> is the room it's in. Okay? You can't learn anything else about noise. Because noise is, uh, well, which in that case was light. You see how bad my example is because of that? <laughs> it's all screwed up. Can you think straight? All right. But does, did that make sense? Okay, good. Um, you get CS-CS association to compound stimulus experiments. This is like, you know, we just talked about a light noise compound or shadowing. You actually also get uh, association between the parts of the, con of the uh, compound. <laughs> that, again, shouldn't surprise us. The animal is making associations 
all the time. In fact, this is one of the things that makes sense. Well, that Galveston model makes some sense because what it says is the animal is constantly updating and saying, when did this start? When did this stop? Do these things overlap? Randy Galveston has a point. Right? Galveston's book's great, The Organization of Learning. The first chapter is all about sailing. I think he's a sailor. He just wanted to write a book about sailing. So he wrote the first chapter. It's the first chapter. It's all. It's really about navigation. But he just wrote his first chapter. It's like sailing. I remember when Sarah and I were reading early versions of it because he was sending it out to different labs to give us comment. And she said, "What do you think?" I said, "I think it's a book about sailing." The importance of it hadn't hit me. It's right. It was the first year of grad school, second year. This shouldn't surprise us. Okay, what about a Cajun set? What the hell? It sounds nice. Peter Holland, another one of the people that was all going to school together uh, at uh, Penn. Peter Holland, great idea. It's called an Cajun setting. This is kind of whack, and this isn't really predictable anymore. Okay, we're going to do this with pigeons. I think Peter does as well. I think he's done it with rats and pigeons, but I think in pigeons more than rats. So let's think about this in pigeons. So when the light comes on, we get food, US. That's how we typically do these experiments, isn't it? When it comes on, animal gets food, blah, 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 and eventually starts pecking at light <coughs> for no apparent reason. We don't know why, they just do it. And it pleases us. What if we told the animal that this is only true? Uh, no, you must like that. This is only true if there's a there's a there's a tone, a 440 hertz tone in the background. So if this is happening, then this is true. If there is no 440 hertz tone, pecking, there's no, the pecking never does anything. The light doesn't give you any less. I can't think of an explanation of any model that would tell us that that should work, and it does. Okay, so rats or pigeons, and I guess I think in pigeons, so we'll think about this in pigeons. The pigeons don't peck here when there's no 440 hertz tone, but they do peck here. They have somehow learned that this sets the occasion. That's what's called occasion setting. It says, oh, the contingencies are now active. That's what that says. That 440 hertz tone says, the key. now the light coming on means you get food. You can see the learning guy, the classical mission guys are running out of ideas. <laughs> That's a good joke. This is really cool, actually, because I don't know why. No, I can think cognitively why this works. It's trivial. Explain this to me with a swallow wagon model. You cannot. Then, well, perhaps you can. No, no. No, but wouldn't that okay. still be like having the compound stimulus? No. You know why not? Because this is on the whole time when the light comes on and the light's <coughs> not on. So when the animal's put in the box, they hear, because that's a little C right there. That's 440 hertz. <laughs> so then, that's in the dark. Then once the light comes on, then, then the that means you can peck. 
connect yeah. to I'm getting food. No, no, yeah, well, you can think of it that way, sure. Yeah. But the thing is, it's not a different context. It's one thing changing in the box. Everything else in the box is the same. So if you want to talk about using it as a context, talk about context, associations, things like this, that's all well and good, but everything else in the box is the same. Right? Oh, if this was two different boxes? Yeah, I could explain that. That's trivial. I can't when it's not two different boxes. Because all we're doing is changing one variable. It's a neat, this is a neat result, in case you said. I know that uh, Cheryl's PhD supervisor worked on a lot of occasions like too, in Valora, uh, who I think was also in that class. It was a very scary class of people. Alright. He's, he's the reason I went to Newfoundland. And he was like, he's not in Newfoundland. He's no, he's not. But I was at Duke, I had a job. Interview thing, and he and I was I was I had the job, and he said to me, I mean, pretty, yeah, and he said that I'd have to send my daughter to private school because the schools weren't safe in that part of North Carolina. And that's when I thought, well, hmm, I wish you would leave there. Plus, Maddie would have ended up talking about this, which would have been weird. Right? Then I get moved to information and talk about Keo, right? Which is good. I love doing the little grand jokes a little. It's fun. <laughs> it's fun. So does that change the learning? Pardon me? Does that change the learning when you remove the constant? How? What do you mean? I'm not going to write a I don't understand what you're asking me, frankly. Say it again. Okay, you're in the same box. Yep. You have the sound going constant. Yep. You turn on the light and you get food. Yep. You remove the sound, yep. you turn on the light, Nothing you happens. don't get no food. That's right. So does that not change the learning? Well, the thing is, you would think that under all the models of learning that we have talked about in this class, you shouldn't get a nice strong um, response to that US, right? Because you're saying, oh, light now doesn't do it. But that's not what happens. Light Light is a very strong CS if tone is on. And see, so... If it was the case that the animal's learning just about light, right? It should be the case that you should get an intermediate, because you'd get, let's say, an equal number of pairings here and here. She, in fact, the animal, if it was equal, should learn nothing. The old score like control says the animal should learn nothing, except that's not the case. So it's a strange phenomenon. And it can, you know, I can explain it cognitively, the animal's like representation, but I can't use any of the models of learning. It's a really neat result. Uh, Peter Hall, another very smart guy. Another very smart guy. All right. Questions about this stuff? Okay, now I'm going to tell you about the test. And I'm going to turn off the recorder. And this is, see, this is, this is the bonus for coming to class. Is you get to hear about the upcoming test. Goodbye.
podcast is released under a Creative Commons copyright share like 2.5 Canada. Uh, feel free to redistribute the information as you see fit, but please don't make any money out of it. And if you do, you got to tell me because I'm reserving that right. Giving up all the other ones, including uh, mash it up any way you want, okay? Um, also, of course, give me attribution. If you want to get a hold of me, my email address is dave.broadbeck, B-R-O-D-B-E-C-K, at algomau.ca. My website is people.auc.ca slash broadbeck slash blog. Uh, most of the music, uh, all the music's Podsafe, and most of it comes from GarageBand.com or the Podsafe Music Network. See you next time.